0: Among the most famous psukim in the entire Torah are the psukim in Parshish Ekev that begin the Chami Aliyah In Perak Yud, psukim Bet through Yud Gimel. Be'ata Yisrael, sho'al mi'imach. Moshe dramatically asks the Jewish people, what does Hashem want from you? Ki'im, just that. To fear him, to go in all of his ways, to follow him, also to love him, to worship him with all of your heart and all of your soul, to observe all the mitzvots, which Hashem is commanding you today, because it is for your benefit. Rashi, in interpreting these p'sukim, explains that they have to be understood in context coming on the heels of previous psukim, which had made reference to the fact that the Jewish people people had previously sinned and rebelled most dramatically at the Chedah Egel, with the sin of the golden calf. And therefore, the Torah is communicating here that Hashem is still only asking of you to fear it. That is to say, va'ata does not mean something new. After all, we have already been obligated in Yerat Shemaim previously in the Torah. Rather, va'ata means... Even now, even now, despite the sins, what does Hashem want from you? He has compassion on you, and he's still willing to just accept Yerushamayim from you, if you can at least do that. That interpretation of the psukim as, so to speak, downplaying the level of demand is exactly what the Gemara in Brachos, very famously on Lamad Gimon would Bet, is bothered by when the Gemara asks, how can you claim that Yerash Shamayim is a minimal request, something not that demanding, in the Gemara's well-known formulation? And the Gemara answers, yes, in fact, in Lagabi Moshe, Moshe, who was speaking, for him, it's not such a big deal. So on the one hand, you see confirmation that just like Rashi, the Gemara here is assuming that the ki'im is downplaying the level of demand. On the other hand, as many have asked, whether it be on Rashi or on the Gemara, it just doesn't make any sense. Mira Shemaim is a big deal, and more than that, the fact that it's small, it's not a big deal for Moshe, how does that help the rest of us? The fact that Moshe is such a high level, and he can have Yir Shemaim for him it's a small thing, but Moshe is not speaking to himself, he's speaking to the rest of us, for all of history. So how does that help? How does that make any sense? Ramban does not ask any of these questions explicitly, but implicitly it's clear that Ramban is bothered by this, and therefore the Ramban gives a completely different interpretation than Rashi. Ramban says the first part of the Pasuk in Yudbet has to be understood in light of the conclusion of Pasuk yud where we read, letovlach, that this is all being done for our benefit. And therefore the Ramban explains that en the actual demand, objectively, of your Shamayim is of course a big deal, and it is challenging and demanding for most people. However, what Moshe is stressing is that the reason that we have this obligation is Latovlach. it is for our benefit. Hashem is not obligating us in anything just because it's good for Him, rather because it is good for us. And therefore, thus understood, kiim does not mean it's a minor thing. It is a big thing. But it's a minor thing in the sense that we're not being asked to sacrifice our own true interests. It's actually somewhat of a small thing to ask a person to do something that's actually good for him or her. doesn't mean it's objectively easy, but Moshe is explaining, almost like a good parent or a teacher would. Yes, what I'm asking for you is difficult, but you will benefit in the long run. And therefore, the demand is not such a challenging or heavy demand because it's really being done with your best interests in mind. A third interpretation, different than both Rashi and Ramban, is offered by the Sefer Ha'ikarim, which is a book of philosophy written by Rav Yosef Albo in Spain in the first half of the 15th century. And even though he's not really a parshan on the Torah, he's not a commentary on the Torah, but because a particular chapter in the third section of the book is all about Yeret Shamayim, in that context, Rav Yosef Albo offers his exegesis, his parshanut of how to read these p'sukim, and he is explicitly bothered by the questions that we just mentioned. That is to say, how can the P'sukim, how could Rashi, how could the, how could the Gemara be downplaying the demands of Yerashamayim? What's the difference if it's easy for Moshe? A rich person can't tell a poor person, just get me a thousand gold pieces. It's not just a thousand gold pieces for a poor person, even if it's a small token fee for the rich person. So too, the fact that it's easy for Moshe doesn't make it easy for us. What is going on? Therefore, Seferi Karim explains in the broadest sense that in fact, the goal of the world, and certainly the goal of placing a soul in a human body, is for us to achieve Yirat Shamayim. On the one hand, it is just, quote-unquote, just a specific command, as we saw even in last week's parsa, Es Hashem chatira, but it's also a general principle which encompasses all, or at least most, of the mitzvos. It's the ultimate telos, the ultimate goal of any human being. In fact, as he says, it's a very demanding thing, which is the goal of all of life. Avr Mavinu no less. Avr Mavinu was not called the Yerah Elukim until after he passed his final test. It's repeated in the Torah many times, this idea of Yerash not only to underscore its importance, but also under, to underscore how difficult it could be to achieve. It's in keeping with all of that in mind, says Yerash we can understand Arb Sukim. Because yes, Kiim, as Moshe said, he is giving us, so to speak, a discount, the Hakalai, is trying to make things easier for us. How is this easier for us? So he explains... Ordinarily, and in theory, the only way you could achieve this incredibly demanding goal of your Shemayim is exactly as how ha- the Pesach initially says in Pesach Gidbeis. You have to fear him in and of itself, innately. You have to follow his ways completely and you have to worship him <speaking in Hebrew> with every fiber of your being. Wow, that is hard. However, the Psukim continue, in Pesukim Gimel says first of and explains that in light of our previous failures, Hashem decided to make it easy for us. Instead of having to be an all-or-nothing one fell swoop, having to summon everything for Yirashamayim, rather it can be done by lishmor es mitzvos Hashem es and she'anochim Savchayom. chayom. If you just take all of the mitzvos and you take them one by one and you observe all of them, then subtly it will accumulate into the same result of Yirashamayim. The goal. It does not have to be a big dramatic accomplishment. It can be accomplished one by one by each one of the mitzvos. And the Hashem has changed that formula to make it easier for us. It's for our benefit that now instead of having to just be some dramatic accomplishment like Avram, it can be done by every one of us by keeping the individual mitzvos. In the context of praising the physical beauty of Eretz Yisrael and then subsequently a warning against taking Hashem for granted, we read the following Pesach, Perches, Yud, Vesavata, Uverachta, Es Hashem Al Ha'aretz When you eat and you are satisfied, you shall bless Hashem, your God, for the good land, of course referring to Yisrael, that He has given you. And according to the Gemara and Brachos, this is the source of the mitzvah to bench after we have eaten. This Hasuk and this mitzvah is a good opportunity for us to consider the general institution of brachos and to try to understand them. After all, of all of the brachos that we say in our daily lives, benching is the only one which is unquestionably and uncontrovertibly a da'araisa, a Torah obligation. Most brachos are unquestionably rabbinic legislation, and there may even be some which there is a little bit of a debate about. But no, without any doubt, the one that is unquestionably daraisa is benching. And therefore, in that sense, it serves as the Torah's paradigm for all brachos. And therefore, it behooves us, in the context of benching, to ask, how do we understand the whole concept of doing anything, whether it's benching or other brachos? What does that mean to bless Hashem, to make a bracha to Hashem? Blessed is God. What does that mean for us to bless Hashem? He's not missing anything. There's nothing that we can give Hashem. What does that mean for a human to bless God? So most mafarshim who are bothered by these questions basically assume that, in fact, there's nothing we can give or do for God, and therefore they explain the brachos as being for man's benefit. And then each of the commentaries explain, each in their own way, how it benefits us. However, going against the grain... A tremendous chiddish is suggested by Rav Shemshin Rufal Hirsch in his commentary to the Torah on Parshas Akev, And he explains that, in fact, man does possess the ability to give things or to do things for God, because God's construct of the world is based on a certain vision and a certain goal for the world, which has to be enacted and fulfilled by human beings and specifically the Jewish people. And therefore, when we do things that further the vision and values of God— then in fact, on some level, we have done something, Kav for him. In that vein, he explains, what is a bracha? A bracha is our verbal declaration. It's a commitment or a promise, a vow, to do and to live our lives in the purpose, and the furtherance of Hashem's mission. We are committing to it, we are reminding ourselves of it. One way or the other, the bracha is our verbal commitment and reinforcing those values and the importance of living a life committed to Hashem's mission. And in that sense, we are doing something for Hashem, Kav when we make a bracha. After you eat and after you've strengthened yourself, then in recognition that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is one who provided that sustenance, the bracha, the benching, is our way of dedicating all of our being, all of our body that's now been replenished, we're dedicating that to His service, to the service of fulfilling His will on earth. The promise of this dedication of our life to His will is what's expressed with the word, says Rav Hirsch, Baruch. Benching is not merely thanking Hashem for the food, the way we generally assume. Rav Hirsch assumes that it is thanking us, Hashem for the food, but for Rav Hirsch, that's not the goal of benching, it's the starting point. Given that everything we have comes from Hashem, therefore, in recognition of that, we then go to the next step. And when we bench, we are, to use his words, if I can quote from the English translation, we are stimulating and keeping awake the consciousness of all the consequences for the whole conduct and mission of our lives. And that is which is attached to this fact. In other words, attached to the fact that it all comes from Hashem is the next step, which is what benching is, according to Rav our commitment to live a life based on that. Rav goes on to explain the three brachos, the first three brachos of benching are the ones that are, according to the Gemara, from the Torah. And therefore, Rav explains how each of these three brachos respectively fit into this theory of his that benching is our commitment, our declaration of living a life in furtherance of Hashem's mission. So that first bracha, hazanah sakol, which according to the Gemara was instituted, the words specifically, in response to receiving the miraculous mun in the desert. Therefore, says our first, each time we have some bread, we are reminding ourselves that every piece, every piece of bread, is just as much a divine gift as the mun was. And we focus specifically on bread, says our first, to communicate that even the barest necessities of life, like bread, the most basic things, the most staples, could have not have been provided to us without a direct gift and the kindness from Hashem. And therefore, given that we acknowledge that everything, even the most basic things like bread, comes from Hashem, this is a commitment and a solemn promise to dedicate the service of our life to the Zon Es to the one who provides everything to us. The next in second bracha, Al Aretz Hamazon, says our Hirsch, acknowledges the special mission and service of the Jewish people, which is expressed through Hakadosh Baruch Hu, giving us His special land, Eretz Yisrael. But as was already indicated in the covenant that Hashem made with Abraham Avinu, this special land will be given to the Jewish people, not unconditionally, but rather based on our faithful observance of the Torah. And therefore, in the second bracha, where we go to the next level, we talk about the specific mission of the Jewish people to help Hashem, we also indicate and we include references to both bris and Torah, because those are part of the covenant that we made going back to the time of Abraham Avinu, those are part of the stipulations and the conditions. If we want to be worthy of Eretz Yisrael, we need to live a life in accordance with Halacha. So that is the way the second bracha fits in to this theory. And the third and final bracha crescendos with an acknowledgement that our national mission reached its highest and permanent expression with the Beis HaMikdash in Yerushalayim and the inauguration of Mahus Beis David as the standard bearer of that mission. While the Beis HaMikdash stood therefore, we said this bracha as a prayer for the preservation of the Mikdash. And now that the Beis HaMikdash unfortunately is not with us, it is a prayer for the rebuilding of the base of Hamikdash as the symbol and the highest representation of our mission in the world of furthering God's vision. Why do we bench at all? What's the point of that obligation of that mitzvah? And secondly, if we do have to bless the food, how come the Torah mandates that it be done specifically? After we finish eating, only after we've eaten and become satiated, then we make a bracha. Now, not to be confused, we are all familiar with making brachas before we eat, shahakol, hamotzi, ha'etz, etc., but those are actually just a rabbinic obligation, instituted much later by the chachamim. The Torah's obligation to bless our food is only after we have eaten. Why is that? So, two questions. Why bench at all? And why is the blessing, the benching on food, specifically after we have eaten? It's to answer these two questions that the Meshachma in his commentary to our Parsha, gives a remarkable interpretation and insight into the entire purpose of making brachos and benching specifically. It's really a long and detailed and incredible piece, and those of you who have the ability, I highly recommend looking at the full thing inside. But to give the highlights, let's start as follows. The starting point for the meshechachma is a Gemara in Masechta, brachos, which discusses benching and compares it to the other bracha, which may very well be from the Torah, the birchas torah we make every morning, the brachos on Torah or Torah study. And the Gemara actually tries to derive from benching to birchas torah that just like we bench after we eat, maybe we should make brachos on Torah after we learn. We make brachos on Torah first thing in the morning before we've learned anything. But maybe, says the Gemara, we should also derive that we should make brachos on Torah after we learn. And the Gemara in the end rejects that. But the question is, what's the deeper point? What are we trying to include, and what do we end up not including? Furthermore, the Gemara tries to do the opposite to derive from Birchasat Torah two blessings on food. Just like can make Birchasat Torah before we learn, maybe the Torah obligation of Yechalta Vesavata, Verachta, maybe that should also be expanded to a Torah obligation to bless. Hashem, before we eat, not just the rabbinic institution of shahakol and Mizonot, etc., but a Torah obligation from our parsha should also be extended to before we eat, and again the Gemara rejects that. So what exactly is going on? And this especially brings into sharp focus the question of timing, right? It's not just that we bench, but clearly an essential aspect of benching is that it comes specifically after we eat, because that's actually the topic of that Gemara and Brachos, and The Havamina, the Gemara's first thought was that maybe we could expand it and extend it to before we eat. In the end, the Gemara concludes, no, benching is uniquely situated after we eat. So why is all this? What is going on? What is the deeper point? So the Meshachachma explains as follows. It says, if you view benching merely as a thank you for the food, true confession, that's what my whole life I thought benching was. But says the Meshachachma, that's a mistake. But if, if you had thought that benching was just a thank you for the food, then the Gemara's derivation or attempt to try to expand to include a blessing before we eat might make sense. If I thank Hashem for physical sustenance after I've eaten, so maybe I should also be thanking Hashem for my spiritual nourishment after I learn Torah. We, you know, If it's a thank you thing, we could go from one to the other. However, you see from the fact that the Gemara rejects this attempt to derivation, says Meshachma, you see from this, that in fact, while of course there's some element of being thankful in the benching, that's not the primary or main focus. Fundamentally, benching is about something else. Now what is that something else? So he explains. Once you have been satiated, once you are full, you've had a good meal, it's natural, and in fact, we're somewhat prone to rebelling against God, rebelling in the sense of forgetting Hashem, and forgetting what role He played in my ability to eat that delicious food and fill my belly. Once I am full, once my belly is full, it's easy to think, who needs God? Or perhaps more subtly for many of us, just to forget that we need God, forget the role Hashem played in bringing that food to our table. Therefore, says the benching comes as a corrective, preventative measure. In order to avoid us falling to that spiritual trap, the Torah requires us to bench, to acknowledge, yes, to say thank you, but more importantly, to acknowledge that the food that we've just enjoyed ultimately comes from Hashem. It's not primarily about hakar Hatov are thanking Hashem for the food. But rather, that by so doing, by thanking Hashem, even more importantly, is that we are reminding, we are, under, we are underscoring, we are re- reinforcing to ourselves that all of the food comes from Hashem. And that will keep us on the spiritual, straight and narrow, so to speak. And that's why, on a Torah level, the obligation to bless food comes specifically, it applies specifically dafka after you've eaten and not before, because that, after you're full, that's when you're in danger of forgetting Hashem. And now, says Meshacham, we can understand the flip side. When it comes to Torah, the brachos are specifically before we learn, because there, the danger is very different. The spiritual danger is that before you learn, you'll have the improper motivation. Maybe you'll be learning for honor, for kavod, or some other your motive. And Chazal teaches us that if you learn Shalom L'Shem Shemayim, that can distort the Torah and be, in fact, a very dangerous and terrible thing. Therefore, you have to make the bracha before you learn Torah to focus your mind on the natural and pure and sublime reason and motivation for learning. As opposed to after you've learned, then assuming you learn for the right reason, already the Torah has the positive impact on you. And therefore, says we understand not only why we bench, but we understand specifically why it has to come after we eat as opposed to the brachos on Torah, which we make specifically before we learn. We bench to remind ourselves that it all comes from Hashem, and that has to happen and specifically happens after we've benefited from the delicious food that Hashem has provided for us. This week's Parsha presents two very famous psukim dealing with the notion of Yiras Hashem or Yiras shamayim. The awe and the fear of heaven. The pasuk tells us in Parak Yod, Pasuk Yud Bay, Yud, Pasuk Yud, Yud, Yud Bayz, Vatah What does God want from you? Kiim Lira We are told that perhaps the thing that is requested or demanded of us by God is fear, Lira Es Hashem Elokecha. A little bit later on in the same parak and pasuk Chav, Es Hashem Tira, also to avod, Ubo Tidbak, Ubeshmo Tishaveya. Right again. Hashem, fear him, serve him, cleave to him. But the first thing is, tira oso. Moreover, we read in last week's Parsha, in Parsha Zvi Eschanan, in Perek Vav, Pasuk Yud Gimel, es Hashem lokecha tira, ve'oso avod u'bishmo tishaveya. So we hear this idea three times in the last few weeks, the imperative seemingly to fear Hashem, or at least the importance of it. I say it's the imperative because in fact, seems to be universally recognized among the Rishonim who count the mitzvot that this is not merely a virtue, but in fact a command. The Rambam in Sefer Mitzvos, and in Mishneh Torah, the Sefer here in Mitzvah, tough Lamed Beys, the Smag and the Smach, the Sefer Yireim, all count Yira Shemaim as one of the 613 mitzvot, the Oraisa. Fascinatingly, the Sefer HaChinuch, as is his wont at the end of his presentation, always tells us who is obligated in a given mitzvah. Is it just Kohanim, for example? Is it just people living in Eretz Yisrael? Is it just men? And in this case, he says it is obligatory on kol min ha-adam, Every type of person, every species of person. Very atypical and very interesting formulation, which seems to strongly imply that he is conveying the idea that kol min ha-adam, even non-Jews are obligated in Yerat Shemaim. How does that make sense? Why should non-Jews be obligated? So the simple understanding is that, according to Sefer this must be a dimension of, an element of, emunah. That part of believing in God, which non-Jews are obligated to do, they're prohibited from idolatry, part of believing in God is also the awe or the fear of Him. In terms of the definition of what exactly Yerash entails, what is the scope of this mitzvah, we have in fact, I think if we look carefully in the Rishonim and Samachronim, Three different definitions, three different perspectives which perhaps are a debate perhaps mutually exclusive, or I would say perhaps more likely uh, represent different levels of the fulfillment of the mitzvah more mi- more minimal and more ambitious and higher levels and better ways of fulfilling the mitzvah the perhaps the I think clearly the lowest level but one which is still uh, included in the mitzvah and brought down by various sources, is the idea of yiras onish simply being scared of getting punished. The Mesil Sharim points out that this is the most basic and instinctual type of fear, and frankly, very effective, because it's very natural not to want pain. And the Rambam actually says this in the Sefer Mitzvos. in Mitzvot HaSedah, the Rambam says, yiras onish, fear of being punished. Moreover, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter in the Yigeras HaMussar very much advocates the benefits of this. Again, because it's so natural and instinctive that people don't want to get punished or feel pain. So by focusing on Yerasa Onesh, that is certainly going to be effective, hopefully, as a bulwark against sinning. As I say, this is in the Rambam. We mentioned two prominent later thinkers, we saw Salanter, Amatel Sesharim, as well, and others talk about this. But presumably, and I think clearly, this is a lower level, in fact, more focused on uh, even, frankly, what's better for you. It's a little bit of a selfish, inward-focused uh, mida If you accept it, it's just fa- based on being fear- fearful of being punished. But nevertheless, uh, according to the Rambam and these other sources, part of the mitzvah. However, there is a additional element which I think is clearly on a higher level and that is brought down by the smag and the Rambam as well in Torah, not in the Sefer Mitzvos, but the Rambam's presentation in Yisodia Torah, in the Mishnah Torah, and that is what is called Yiras HaRomumus, awe and fear of God, just because of, you appreciate His greatness. The Rambam's lashon in Hilchos Yisodia Torah, HaAdam Ubruav HaNiflaim when you contemplate the greatness of God's creations, you will. You see the overwhelming brilliance and genius of God in what he was able to create. You automatically take a step back in awe and fear when you appreciate the greatness of God. So on the one hand, this is a very inspiring idea, appreciating the greatness and awesomeness of God leads to a natural feeling of fear and awe. Nevertheless, it does seem to be a contradiction to what the Rambam had said previously, where he focused on something more minimal, uh, less ambitious, and that is fear of punishment. And I think perhaps a compelling suggestion that I've seen to resolve this is in fact that there are two types. There's the selfish desire to avoid pain, and then there's the realization that the ability to punish is in and of itself a manifestation of His greatness. In other words, we don't have to see it as a contradiction. The idea that perhaps is a lower level is if you're merely focused on yourself, just want to avoid the pain. But if the is the is really a statement of belief, that is to say, the fact that I know that Hashem can punish me at any time for any way I contravene His will, that itself, the fear of that punishment, can be an extension of your actual belief in His awesomeness how awesome, how great, how powerful is God that he can punish. So if you look at the punishment, not just about selfishly trying to avoid it, but as a, another example of his greatness and awesomeness, that is certainly a higher level. A third idea, uh, which is also very relevant uh, and another dimension, is indicated by both the smak and the abarbanel, and that is yirasachet, fear of sin itself. Not as a punishment, but just don't want to contravene God's will. The way that Rabbi Benel says it, it contradicts the hakar satov, the feelings of gratitude that we should all instinctively feel towards God for all the good that He's done for us. And by sinning, we are contravening that. It's like a kafoitov, or being an ingrate if we sin. And therefore, yira sachet is the yira, the fear that we feel that we don't want to deny uh, that. We, want to, we don't want to have that contradiction. If you will listen to the mitzvahs which I command you today, to love the Lord your God, and to worship and to serve him with all of your heart, with all of your soul. This Posik is of course familiar to all of us, because it is part of the Shema that we say twice a day, every single day. And Rashi, here on our Parsha, Perk Aleph, cites the comments of Chazal, which are sensitive to the Seeming redundancy at the outset of the pasuk. Why does it say Im shamoa tishmu? Why the double language? If you will hear, and Rashi quotes the teaching of Chazal from Sechto Sukkah that in fact there are two quote unquote hearings. Im shamoa yashan If you hear the old, tishmu b'chadash, you will be able to hear the new. Rashi in Gemara Sukkah explains this enigmatic statement as referring to the ability to have profound new insights in your learning if you base your new learning off of your old learning. If you're reviewing your learning previously, that will allow you to learn more deeply and have new insights in the future. This very nice and beautiful teaching, here alluded to in our Parsha by Rashi, is the springboard for a very profound meditation and teaching of the Swasemis. Emes. seemingly is bothered by, or at least sensitive to the fact, that this teaching, which Rashi quotes all about our ability to learn on a deeper level and have greater insights in our Torah study, is emerging out of a Pasuk, which, at least it seems, is not talking about Torah study as much as it is talking about mitzvah observance. About the mitzvahs that I command you to do, that you will observe them, you will worship, you will serve. It sounds like we're talking about mitzvah observance. And therefore, the Svasemis uses this kind of tension, if you will, uh, to explain the following, very, very profound insight. He says what this means is that by doing mitzvahs, we somehow... Perhaps this is not a rational phenomenon. It may be more of a metaphysical reality. Nevertheless, says the Svasemes, by doing mitzvos, we merit greater understanding. And in fact, it's directly proportional. The greater, more dedicated, and enthusiastic our actions are, the greater and deeper and more profound our understanding will be. The doing of mitzvos, time after time, leads to greater insight. It's not just that, as we famously know, the Jewish people said na'aseh, before nishma they commanded they committed excuse me to observing the mitzvot before actually learning and understanding them it's in fact says that the nasa leads to the nishma the more you do the greater understanding you will be you will have and therefore as part of this posuk teaching us about the commitment that we need to have every single day to do the mitzvot Chazal see embedded in that pasuk that if you bring that level of commitment and consistency and enthusiasm to doing the mitzvos, that will in fact open greater pathways and greater portals of insight into your studying and learning of the mitzvos. In fact, says the semes, this is alluded to also in our davening because right after Shema in the paragraph of ms V'yatziv we say Ashrei Ish sheyishmal the and then right afterwards, what do we say? The sarascha udvarcha yasi malibo. Sas explains exactly in keeping with his previous insight. Ashri <speaking> Ish in Mitzvah Secha, <Hebrew> praise the someone who keeps the mitzvos. And what do we say right afterwards? Because if you keep and observe the mitzvos, Tarascha Udvarcha Alibo, then Torah study will be something that you can truly internalize, you can truly excel at. By observing mitzvos, that leads to Sarascha Udvarcha success. Tzvah so further develops this by noting that in the pasuk that we started with, our famous pasuk of HaYim Shamoah, we said, Asher hayom, You're being commanded today. But he notes this present tense, hayom, you're being commanded today, is surprising. I wasn't commanded today. The Torah was given thousands and thousands of years ago. It says Tzvah has exactly what the pasuk is coming to teach us. It's written in the present tense because, in fact, the act of Kabbalah Torah, of Matan Torah, was not a one-time historical event but something that actually occurs every single day to each and every one of us. If we have the proper attitude, it's not just about doing the mitzvot, but being committed to them, then there is no limit to the layers of insight. You might say, well, how could I have new insight if insight is connected to doing the mitzvot, and I've been doing the same mitzvot over and over again for so many days and so many years of my life, there's got to be a limit to how many new insights there can be. That's exactly your mistake, and that's the power, the beauty, and the magic of Torah, there is no limit, there is no ceiling, there is no maximum number or layers of insight that can be. The more we do, the more we observe, and the more enthusiastic it is, the more and constantly new opportunities there are for greater insight in our Torah study. It says the Sfas this idea that when you do mitzvot, it's not just that you're doing them, but it can lead to greater understanding of the mitzvot, is somewhat magical, if you will. But it's not just enough to do the mitzvot. It all depends on the attitude you bring to the mitzvot. If you do the mitzvot because they are what he says are mutal alav, it's out of duty, out of obligation. That's good that you're doing the mitzvot, but that's not going to lead to this additional level of insight. What will, however, he says, is that if you have kabbalas ol mitzvot. If you take the attitude that I'm not just doing it, but I'm committed to it. If you are constantly longing. For more and more. If you are never satiated, you're thirsting for more and more. That level of commitment of kabos, ol mitzvos, that is what will lead to the constant new layers of understanding. The nasa leading to greater nishma. Something very, very fascinating. And lastly, to further develop this point, Svasama says a very, very beautiful teaching. The psukim right after this, parak yudalev, psukim tezvav through Tezain have an interesting juxtaposition. On the one hand, it talks about being physically satiated from the food we eat. And then the very next Pasuk, it says, Pen We're concerned lest your heart be led astray and you are disloyal to Hashem, disloyal to the Torah. So the Medrash in the Sifrei, commenting on this juxtaposition, points out, Ein adam morid ela mitoch observing the common phenomenon that we know that sometimes, unfortunately, physical bounty, physical success, material b- success can sometimes lead someone spiritually astray. The sphia, the physical satiation can lead to a person to have a more physically in base life and less concerned about spirituality. However, says in a fascinating teaching, says it's not only that attitude or that physical satiation that can lead you astray. Even if you're a Malay Kri, so if you take the attitude that I'm satiated spiritually, I've done what I can, I don't need to do anymore, that itself will also lead you astray. You can never have the attitude of Svia of I'm fully satiated, I'm full, spiritually. The pasuk Vayim Shema teaches us to constantly be thirsting for more.